It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. Joining me today, Fox News contributor and KTTH radio host in Seattle. Three to seven drive time. Jason Rance is here. He has a new book. It's called What's Killing America. There it is. Jason Rance, What's Killing America. Get your copy now. Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. We never actually get to sit next to each other and talk. It's It's usually over the phone. Yes. Or, you know, some screen or Zoom. But Mm -hmm. here we are. You're in New York. You're promoting... Your book. Yes. How long have you been documenting the American decline? Since it's really rapidly occurred, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, since COVID, we've clearly seen a deterioration of just quality of life. Yeah. And it started at Democrat-run cities. And I used to get out when I do my show a few years ago, I would get text messages saying, oh, I left Seattle, so I didn't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying, oh, my God, it's now in my neighborhood, yeah. what I tried to escape. And I think you're finding that all across the country. You're not going to leave New York City and move like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes away, and then it won't come and get you. It ultimate, It's not Vegas. It doesn't stay there. Bad policy has the tendency to spread. Yeah. And one of the things, and you see this a lot in Seattle, and it is something that has infected New York, San Francisco, Portland. Um, these cities aren't dealing with homelessness. And so, and it's not just a few people on the street or a couple people in tents or on park benches. It is so prevalent. So it, yeah. what is Seattle doing wrong? Well, they're doing everything wrong. They've adopted something called housing first. And that is a model that, like it sounds, we put someone in housing before we do anything else to address that underlying cause of their homelessness. It sounds really great on paper. It sounds amazing. It doesn't actually work. But what if homelessness is a symptom of something else? So you're not addressing the root cause at all. Not at all. Now, they'll tell you that once you get them into shelter, once you get them into housing, it makes it a little bit easier to get them into treatment, except there's no condition of treatment. And so if someone, let's say, is an addict, well, they can continue to be an addict while in subsidized housing. And so you're never actually addressing that issue, which means they are there forever. You're just now keeping them into subsidized housing. And I would argue that's not really addressing homelessness. It's also not very humane. No, it's cruel. Because you're you're letting people sort of metastasize in an environment where... I don't know that their quality of life is much improved if they're still stuck at the intersection of mental illness and addiction. Yeah, you're 100% correct. And that's part of the issue here is you have not that I think there's people who are purposely trying to keep people homeless, but you can't ignore the fact that there is a homeless industrial complex. And these are people who stay employed and their budgets get larger the more people they bring in, the worse homelessness is. And now all of a sudden, you've basically given them job security forever because you're saying, okay, well, when you're ready, we'll go ahead and yeah, give you but, that treatment. But you, you know, they're confronted with the numbers. They're confronted yeah. with the fact that, you know, especially on these West Coast cities, homelessness is going up and up and will continue to do so mm-hmm. because there's nothing that's been meaningfully done. And it's it's destroying cities. So you don't care about homeless people's quality of life, and you also don't care about the citizens. So, you know, to your point, 
people are trying to run. They're trying to go somewhere else, but that somewhere else has the same problems that are catching up to them. Exactly. And, you know, part of the issue that that I explore in the book is that I can go out and ask someone right now, what is housing first? And of course, they're not going to know. 99% of the country has no clue what it is or harm reduction policy. There's mm-hmm. all these like buzzwords that are being implemented in their name right now, wherever it is they live. If you live in a Democrat-run city, mm-hmm. county, or state, that is the leading policy. It's been adopted by the Biden administration. You should know that. If we're actually going to push back and actually win, we have to make sure that we know what it is that they're doing, what it is they believe, why they believe it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wrote the book. Now, do you consider yourself to be a conservative? Yes. How difficult is it being conservative in Seattle? Oh, well, all 17 of us get together and we cry. We have a group therapy session. There's like none of us. So it is it is kind of difficult. From a career-wise, it's great because I have my own little niche. No one's really going to get into my lane for the most part. But from a personal standpoint, yeah, it's really difficult. You can't really maintain friendships or begin friendships in a lot of cases. But it's interesting because, you know, it, it used to be, and when I was doing talk radio in Seattle, I started in 1999, People, you know, were still intrigued by Mm -hmm. other people's political differences. And I had a lot, a lot of friends who were super liberal. And that's just, you know, by virtue of growing up in the Pacific Northwest. It is predominantly more Democrat, but now it's becoming more progressive. And I've noticed that as our politics edges toward the extremes, it's really impossible to have friends or, you know, God forbid, like, I think that if someone is on the opposite end of the political spectrum from you, dating, you you can't, I mean, you can't date a lib. You really can't. And which is fascinating to me because I find people who disagree with me way more interesting than someone who agrees with me. Mm-hmm. I just, I like that kind of back and forth so long as people can choose not to take it personally. Yes. But you can't do that And anymore. make their case and argue rationally. Exactly. But so much happen. is forgiven when you're able to do that. But- Especially in places like Seattle, we've lost that. Like, I've lost friends from Portland because I'm on Fox. And it's like, I'm a libertarian. I've always been a libertarian. Even if I had a different name for Mm -hmm. it, my core beliefs have not changed. There there are some aspects that are nuanced now. But, you know, by and large, I'm the same person. Mm -hmm. Their views have gone very far left. And and I have lost friendships. Yeah, and they'll just call you a fascist. I the the number of times I've been called either a Nazi or a white supremacist. It's like I'm a gay Jew. I am not a white supremacist. <laughs> what are we doing here? But like I get called that all the time by yeah. folks on the far left, and it, it's just it's maddening because they'll claim that they're tolerant and compassionate and they're so empathetic of people. Like, no, you're really not. You're kind of a, just a bad person, mm. and you're making it worse because you don't even recognize what it is you're doing. They think that they're heroes because somehow they hold a position that they hold and they get to determine that that is the only correct position. And it just, it drives me nuts because I've always been some, because I was not always a conservative. I sort of found it when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And it was because I was, it was being pushed on me to be a liberal. Of course. And just, I instinctively don't want to go along with that. Maybe that's why I'm a gay Jew who's a Republican. But, you know, I have a, a friend who's Jewish and wants to go to synagogue. And he found that every time he went, he was being lectured to about politics <sighs> And it was yeah. it was a kind of liberal Democrat agenda that was being forced upon the congregation. Mm-hmm. And it was really tough. And it's like, is there no escape from politics anywhere? I do. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I just want to sit back sometimes and not always have to do politics. And it's funny because the people who do like me in Seattle, they always want to talk politics. Of I'm course. like, I just did a four-hour show. I'm really tired. So Could when you-, you go out, 
Do people confront you or do they want to just be a part of your conversation? So if it's in Seattle, this is what I get all the time. And I actually kind of like this. They go, they come up to me and I can tell that they recognize who I am. And it's usually from Fox and they go like this. I really like what you do. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing. And I get that enough where you're like, yeah. you do know other people are doing exactly the same thing. So maybe yeah. if you stood up and actually said it's okay. Or voted with your beliefs. Or And I, I will say, sometimes it's difficult to connect the dots to explain why something is going wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why I wrote the book. It's just like, if you don't know who's responsible or specific policies, you can't rely on local media to give you that. The local media atmosphere, wherever it is you are, and this is both a criticism, but also I kind of understand it. Mm-hmm. You have to, as a reporter, have access to the party in power. You have to be able to get that interview, get called on during a press conference. Mm -hmm. And if you're in an area that is just completely dominated by blue or red, well, guess what? If you don't play along, you're going to lose access, which means you can't do your job. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens in the White House. We see that all the time. But but when you're in, so I'm in a position where I don't I don't care if I have access to anybody. Like I don't yeah. need that for my show, so I'm able to just call stuff out. But others aren't, so that means someone at home doesn't realize the reason why the drug crisis is what it is now is because of this. The reason why housing costs is out of control is actually because of this policy. And, and that would be know. the federal government. Well, sometimes it depends. So it depends on the issue. Because I mean, I housing, yes, housing, but there are also local yeah. housing laws yeah. that exacerbate not only the unaffordability of housing, but the housing crisis in terms of homelessness. And I'm not yeah. talking about mentally ill drug addicts. I'm mm-hmm. talking about a single mom who maybe works one or two jobs. She loses one of those. You know, they get kicked out of their apartment. There, there are different yeah. types of homelessness, but a lot of that is government overreach and government being too involved and creating too many layers of bureaucracy that make all of those areas very expensive for people. Yeah, I I think a few good examples, actually, Denver is a great example, Portland and Seattle. So they have rules in place that basically got rid of parking requirements. Mm -hmm. And so apartments would, you can only build so high and they would only put a few parking spots in them which costs like 300 to $500 a month. So someone who lives close to their office, let's say it's Seattle. Well, you're working at Amazon. Mm-hmm. So you're making six figures to start. Well, the person, the, the single mom who's working two jobs, you've now pushed her into another community. You've made it incredibly expensive for her to own a car. You're trying to push now EVs on her, which mm-hmm. is a horrible idea, as I found out this past weekend. And you're making life more difficult and expensive for that person. But then you're telling them, oh, no, we're doing all this for you. Yeah, but, but you're that, not. I mean, that is modern day leftism writ yeah. large. Like 100%. that, and and even when the president is faced with inflation, rising prices, rising gas prices, you know he can't figure out why his poll numbers are dropping. Mm-hmm. They're even worse on immigration. Yeah. You can't tell people this is great and this is for you while you're taking things away from them. And sometimes it's stuff. Sometimes it's money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's mobility. But you, you're taking things away from them and telling them. I mean, I can't think of anything more offensive and paternalistic than that system. It's like, we don't trust you. We have a dim view of human nature. We are going to make decisions for you. They are bad decisions, but we're going to tell you they are great and you're lucky. Yes, you are suffering from the consequences of our policies, but we're telling you you're not. And we're like, no, but we are. No, you're not. Trust us. Well, no, that's not how it works. And yet they continuously do it. And I think gaslighting has taken an all new meaning within mm-hmm. the last few years. It's actually rather remarkable. This would have worked, their strategy would have worked 
before YouTube, before cable news, mm-hmm. and yet they're still pretending as if we don't have access to all of yes, this information. Yes, as if the only time people get information is in the morning with the newspaper yeah. or at night with the evening newscast. That's But that's what happens when you have old people uh, terrorizing a society mm-hmm. when they're in power. Is yes. They're operating by their very outdated rule book, but they don't realize that that people are much more sophisticated than they give them credit for. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. But there's also, I think, there's just a sense of arrogance from the left right now Mm -hmm. because they have control of the culture. They have control generally of the media and they have expectations. And so that's why every once in a while when you see just a little bit of pushback, like on Biden and his age, Mm -hmm. Karine Jean-Pierre goes nuts. I mean, she looks it up in her little notebook first and then, like, I can't believe you. I can't even go through the day. I've spoken to this. Yeah, I can't keep up with him. Well, then you you need to have your iron levels tripped. Yeah, something's wrong with her. But they, they tell us this, but they react when they get even just a little bit of pushback because they're not expecting it Mm -hmm. they're like no you don't do that to us we own the media we own the culture and shame on media outlets that too often play along with that it's just like you can hold your allegiance you can be a democrat you can be a liberal and still do msnbc or cnn or the new york times but also be fair and honest about everything yes at what point did folks say we're no longer going to ask questions or wonder about just journalism in general and i say this as a conservative because i'm equally curious about positions that the the right takes, which I don't always agree with. I always want to know the why. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you hold this position? Why are you pushing this particular policy? Why do you think this is going to work? And no one seems to be willing to ask the why. Yeah. What happened to curiosity? That that's yeah, how that's, we all got into media. curiosity and skepticism would be a couple of things that could save us from our ultimate doom. One hundred percent, and you know, listening to people. So when they do tell you that things are not going well, yeah. maybe they have a point, yes. right? This whole and maybe the it's, it's, yeah, but maybe it's rude. Like Paul Krugman just had a column where he was like, "Hey, listen, if you take food, gas, and housing." out of the economic picture, there's no inflation. It's like, but those are the things that people buy and interact with every single day and they can't afford it. So for them, inflation is very, very real. Exactly. So essentially saying, I don't have this problem, so you don't have this problem. And if you would stop spending money on all the things you're spending money on, you wouldn't be losing out on money. Yeah, we got that. Thanks, Paul. That was a very great moment. Light bulb went off in my head. Wow, that was really a great point. But that's the arrogance of it. And I don't understand why they don't see it. Or do they and they're just pretending otherwise? Have they convinced them? Because I've certainly talked to to liberals, especially in Seattle. They've convinced themselves that what they're saying makes total sense and it's the only way. And no matter what data that you show them, they refuse to acknowledge it. We have people right now, every time I do a story on Fox about Seattle in particular, mm-hmm. someone will get on Twitter and talk about how I'm just making it up. Oh, they think it's a hellscape. Everything's Haven't great. Haven't you seen all the cranes in Seattle? Which is, oh There's my God. so many cranes. I hate that argument because I'm like, dude, you do realize they financed that project like a decade ago yeah. and they've already put the money in and they've been building. So that's not really how it works. And yet I'll get inevitably someone say, well, I work downtown. I spend all my time downtown. And let me tell you, it's great. Like, no, it is. why are you lying? Yeah. I live there. I know yeah. exactly what it is. And if you're telling me that that's what you see, mm-hmm. then you've convinced yourself 
that there's no problem. And you're problems. also not listening to other people, to your point. You're not yeah. listening because everyone has a story. Everyone is Everyone who it. works and lives in downtown Seattle, downtown Portland, here in Manhattan, everyone has a story. Yeah. Like, and, and literally every other story one ups yours. So it's like, I saw a homeless guy pooping on the subway. It's like, hold my beer. It's like, oh, God, yep. I have a handful of beers. Because yeah. everyone has a crazy story. Sure, that might be anecdotal, but it also follows the, the crime trend lines. Yeah, it's like, look at all the images. We're, we're, we're documenting this, right? Yeah. So what are we documenting? If, if you're okay with the level of squalor that folks are, human beings are living in, surrounded by human waste. Mm-hmm. Like, you're okay with that? San Francisco, yeah. You're San okay Francisco, with that? You're good with that? The, the funny thing, and I, I talk about San Francisco in the book because, in part, I'm inspired by what they did recently. Mm-hmm. They've clearly said, the voters have said, okay, there is now a line that you've crossed. Yes. They went after Chesa Boudin, who's the mm-hmm. George Soros wannabe DA. They booted him from office. They booted from office the three um, school board members, directors, mm-hmm. who were eligible to be recalled. They were booted as well. And they started to take back their city, but they were still hitting resistance. And this is the one city that I truly believe we're likely seeing the death of in real that, time. It, it, that is so tragic to me. Yeah. Because, you know, I spent so much time in San Francisco as a kid, and I really loved it. Like, I, that was the first big yeah. city I went to, and I looked up to it so much. And I remember being in junior high and high school and thinking, like, I want to live in San Francisco one day. Like, people are so happy and creative. And, you know, now it's just it gorgeous. Like, yeah. It was a gorgeous city, and, and now it's not. And, and people can pretend otherwise. I was reading, like, an L.A. Times piece about trying to justify how it's not a big deal that all these businesses are leaving. Um, but what do you do what do you think is going to be there? Do they not understand how it works? I, like high taxes, high crime, a lot of homelessness. I call it the triple H. Um, and you're inviting people to leave, and that's what they're doing. Like they are leaving the city. So when businesses leave, you don't have the tax base mm-hmm. to pay for all of the social services you need when you have such a permissive environment where agencies don't work together to meaningfully address problems. And I know there are a lot of do-gooders out there, and that's the homeless industrial complex. You know, those are people who are guaranteed to have jobs by running around screaming that everything is on fire, and you think you're giving them fire extinguishers, but you're actually handing them kerosene with more funding. Exactly. I'm sorry, but when you tell people who are addicts you can continue to use... And that's why they're homeless to begin with. That's just wrong. Yeah. And again, they'll scream harm reduction. And the data actually doesn't back what they're claiming. No, harm reduction would be getting people into rehab. That would be exactly. harm reduction for addicts. Yes, but that's not harm reduction anymore. Now, harm reduction used to mean that. And yeah. Portugal was a great example. Because I well, remember yes. you and I talked about this a while ago. And I've, as much as I think I liked what Portugal was doing to begin with, they're so far gone from that. There was a New York Times piece about a month ago about mm-hmm. how Lots of folks are saying, you know, this was not a great experiment because you've had overdoses skyrocket. Mm-hmm. You've had crime due to it skyrocket. You don't have enough places to put folks into detox, and they're simply not going anymore yeah. because you made it voluntary. And so right now in the United States, harm reduction has nothing to do with the treatment. They'll tell you that every once in a while, but it's just about handing out needles and crack pipes and booty bumping kits, which I got to see on TV in front of What are booty people. bumping kits? So it's a syringe where you remove the needle, uh-huh. but you put a mixture of uh, water, and it's usually meth inside, and you rectally inject it because apparently it go, it's a much stronger high. They were handing this out at a... It, with taxpayer funds were going into it. First of all, I just wanted to say booty bumping on 
TV multiple yeah, times. I'm glad you did. I'm as a highlight of my career. Um, but they're giving this away to people who are already homeless, who are struggling, and you're telling me that this is harm reduction because it saves lives. No, you're prolonging an inevitable overdose death. That's yeah. all you're doing. And that's not compassionate, the whole, well, we don't want to you know, stigmatize drug users. I, I don't care if they're stigmatized, no, it's not if they're stigmati- helping. it's stigmatizing it, drug use. Ex- it's focusing on drug addiction and mental illness. That's yep. what you have to focus on. It's like, People aren't bad because they experiment. There are a lot of people who experiment with drugs who don't deserve to die, who do because of fentanyl poisoning and overdose deaths. And those are people who don't do drugs to begin with. And they just they just want to try something one yeah. time they shouldn't pay with their lives. Uh, but the ones who clearly need help and clearly the money is there in all of these cities mm-hmm. because they pass bond measure after bond measure – and it doesn't get to them, that's because they're doing it wrong. It is a bad system. So stop funding these horrible systems that do a great disservice, not only to the people who need it most, but the people who deserve to live in a functioning civil society. It feels like they keep trying to one-up each other. Yeah. Because you have now the public health department in, in Tacoma, Pierce County, putting out their messaging. It's an it's supposed to be an anti-fentanyl campaign towards juveniles. Mm-hmm. And yet... It tells them to use in groups, test your drugs before you're doing it. I'm like, can we at least lead with the don't do fentanyl because it's not what you think? Yes. Like, they're treating it I mean, as the, if it's People weed. are taking things that they don't assume fentanyl yeah. is in an Ativan mm-hmm. or a Xanax. Yep. You know, it's like, it's how Mac Miller died. That's how countless celebrities have died from fentanyl poisoning. And, you know, it's like, there were those comics who were doing lines of cocaine and there was fentanyl and they died. They created the harm reduction messaging that's currently in place was created for weed. Yeah. And they're using it for fentanyl. Yeah. And that's why it's most definitely not working. And I don't know how anyone can look at the data and tell me that it's working because you have record high numbers of fatal overdoses since in a significant way, they adopted harm reduction. Mm-hmm. Seattle in particular, 2018 was when our prosecutor at the time said he was no longer going to charge for personal possession of drugs. And guess what happened? Well, the drug dealers carried less product Yeah, but on that's them. also not legalizing drugs. That's actually not changing the system meaningfully. I- exactly. But it, it's it's effectively the same thing from a, from a criminal justice standpoint in it, their mind. But it, from a structural standpoint, yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah, for not sure. the same thing. From a structural standpoint, it's not. But from the user standpoint, it is. Because now they're saying, well, I can go ahead and continue to use. I'm not going to get in any trouble. I don't have to turn on my dealer if a cop sees me because the cop doesn't have any power to put me in jail. So they can't leverage jail time to turn on the guy mm-hmm. who's putting this poison on our streets. And then I mean, since there's a lot then, of poison on the streets that's legal. So sure. make everything legal. Well, see, I, I disagree with that. And I, I used to hold that position, mm-hmm. or at least I was closer to that position than I am now. Mostly because I'm much closer to that position than I ever been, and I've always held that position. It's so weird. Like we're, we're pushed apart by probably the same data because I get I get the point that you're making. I just don't think we can have that position mm-hmm. when the structures are what they are. Now, if the structural makeup was different, if we had an actual system in which we would have support for people, so they're just not dying. Yes, I would be. I'd be open. But they're to dying it. from illegal drugs. They're, they're dying not, for illicit they're not substances. Yes, dying from Nyquil. Correct. Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. I just don't think we clearly don't have an infrastructure in place in this country that can handle that. Not yet. That's because we've had too many drug warriors for too long and they've screwed up the system and created these imbalances 
that you can't magically have one policy change, wave a wand, and have it be different overnight. Well, and they try to do 10 different things at once, yeah. and they all seem to be in conflict with one another, and that's why it's been a total failure. And like I said, I, I was moved early on by the Portugal example, mm-hmm. and folks on the left who currently hold the harm reduction policies, they use Portugal as a great example. But it just hasn't trended in the right way. It started off strong, and I think in part was because there wasn't a surge in drug users Mm -hmm. as they thought there would be. But that's since changed. Now, I don't know if it's due directly with their their version of legalization. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case. And I don't think there have been any studies there. But they're clearly headed in the wrong direction. And we should pause and find out why. Well, they they won't be lonely because we're also doing the wrong things. Fantastic book, What's Killing America? Jason Rance. Look at that. It's so pretty. Get your copy now. Just in time for the holidays, all of them. (laughs) Um, All right. Happy days. Thank you for being here, Jason Rance. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I will listen to your radio show, but not in the flesh. I miss Seattle. Do you? Yeah. Are you going to come back anytime soon? You were kind of close recently. You were in Spokane. Yeah, I was in Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, Portland. Mm -hmm. We just circumvented those up to cat. Uh, but we will hear you Stay away. sooner than we see you. Thank yes. you, Jason Rance. Thank you so much. Along with Jason Rance, this has been Kennedy Saves the World, and I'm Kennedy. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.